Oh, my mind is just uh, overwhelmed, God, with that vision. That somehow, even us in this little room in one small corner of southwest Indiana, we could add our voices to myriad upon myriad angels. That we could add our praise to the praise of of saints who for 2,000 years now have declared these words and said, Worthy are you, God. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Oh, God, we, we rejoice that Jesus Christ has already accomplished it. God, there's not something that we must do out of duty or in some sense to earn your favor or somehow make ourselves worthy. We are worthy because of what Jesus Christ has done and what he alone has accomplished. And so we worship the Lamb. We worship Jesus Christ. And, and God, we, we participate in whatever extent your Holy Spirit has allowed us in that vision people of every nation and tribe and tongue gathered, saying together, probably in their own languages, but saying together, worshiping together the praise of God. And I thank you, God, that even in the midst of some of the most difficult seasons of our lives, and we think not just about the last two weeks, but about the last two years, God, that even in some of the most difficult seasons of our lives, you never leave us or forsake us. Your word actually promises, Lord, that, that not only will we have tribulations, but we will also never be without the presence of the living God through his son, Jesus Christ. So, God, as we gather together today, we just worship Jesus. And we pray as we take our eyes off the circumstances surrounding us in our in our families, in our, in our community here, in our, in our nation, God, in, in, in this world which you have called us to bless, as we take our eyes off all those circumstances and focus them on you, we pray that you might grant us insight. Father, might grant us wisdom to know what our place is, how we can honor you and glorify you, God, with our lives. Thank you that even when we feel helpless, we are never helpless. Even when we feel alone, we are never alone. Even when we don't know how to approach you, you give us words to pray. And so, Jesus... We offer the words that you taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forget those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Oh, my goodness. Would you open uh, the word of God with me to uh, our passage for today? We've been talking together. I'm sorry. It's Revelation 7, beginning at verse 9. If you would call that up or open your Bibles. We've been talking together about... Um, the path, 
this, this uh, mysterious journey that God has placed each of us on. We don't always understand, amen, what, what the twists and the turns of that path are. But we have this assurance that if we will wander neither to the left or the right, if we will, if we will honor God with that path, staying on that path, that he will take us to our final destination. He will take us to the very presence of God. So hear the word of God, would you, from, from Revelation chapter 7, beginning at verse 9. This is a vision that, that God gave the Apostle John. We've studied it before, not so long ago, less than a year ago. We looked at this passage, but I want you to see it today in, with new eyes and in, in new light. And this being the light of God's call upon your life. After this, John says, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out, with a loud voice. Would you join me? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Thank you. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Uh, don't get lost in the, in the biblical language right here. I mean, that should hit you really oddly, right? That, that statement should hit you really oddly. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear. From their eyes. The very word of God. Mm. Mm. I know that's a new, um, a new response for us. Um, um, let me say that again. The very word of God. Thanks be to God. Right? Yeah. It was so much fun two weeks ago to worship. We worshiped together five times at General Assembly. And, and to be with brothers and sisters from all over the world. Many of our missionaries had come to Detroit to be together, to worship together, to hear the word of God, to sing 
All these pastors and pastors' wives and missionaries all singing of the glory of God. It was a poor earthly reflection, but it was a beautiful one of what we're seeing in this vision here that John is sharing. Well, a couple of quick questions as we begin our passage today. What is, we just looked at John's vision, right? But what is your vision of heaven, right? What is, when you picture heaven, what, what do you picture? I asked myself this question and I, I have to confess that, that when I thought about it, I, my vision was kind of about myself, right? About what condition I would find myself. And it was, it was a beautiful one, you know, a joyful one, a hopeful one. And I don't think that's wrong because I'm, through Jesus Christ, I'm going to participate in heaven, right? But, but I, I, I was struck by the fact that a lot of the extent of my vision of heaven had to do with me, right? And, and I was struck by this vision that the angel gave the Apostle John that wasn't about... I mean, he was involved, but it, it wasn't about him, right? Now, a vision is a picture of a foreseeable future. And, and we have this aphorism, a picture's worth a thousand words, right? When you see something, it's, it, it taps into different parts of your mind and, and of your understanding, so we want to be asking ourselves, what is our vision of heaven? And, and how does the word of God speak to that? How does the word of God transform that vision? But a second question I want to ask is this follow-up one. What does your vision of heaven then impel you to do, right? What does it impel you to do, right? Now, if, if a vision is a picture of a foreseeable future. Your mission is the reason why you exist, right? It's what you are to do. It's what you are to do. And, and if I were to ask you, uh, as I often do, at least a couple times a year, you know, what is the reason that we exist? Many of our minds go to the Westminster Shorter Catechism that we taught, right, ourselves. We taught our children, right, from from question one, right? The chief end of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, right? And it, and it begs that question that, that um, our elder uh, Chad Lamb was helping us with last week. What does it mean to glorify God then, right? As we looked together at that prayer of Jesus in John 17, what does it mean to glorify God? How do we glorify God? We saw last week in John 17, 4, Jesus speaking to his heavenly Father. Jesus who became flesh and, and dwelt among us to show us not only how to die, but how to live, right? Jesus said to his heavenly Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Wow. So glory, glorifying God is not just singing praises as beautiful as that is and wonderful, but it's also completing the work that God has given us to do. Now, Scripture is full of insights on what that word would look like. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to us 
each individually to help us discern what will that look like in my life in particular. But I just wanted to highlight two quick aspects of that, one from the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis, the other from very familiar passage at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. But first of all, what is how do we glorify God? Well, we are fruitful, right? And we fill the earth with the presence of the Lord. You're saying, how can we do that, right? Well, when... When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, God gives himself to us through his Holy Spirit, and he dwells in us, and wherever we go, we take the presence of the Lord with us. Did you understand that? Beloved, wherever you go as a follower of Jesus Christ, you take God the Father, you take God the Son, you take God the Holy Spirit with you. You bring the presence of the Lord wherever you go. Again, I'm so grateful for our brothers and sisters in the midst of such a huge family tragedy who bring the presence of the Lord into that tragedy, right? Who bring by their very presence Jesus with them. Wow. But secondly, we've seen also that that a part of the work that God has given us to do now, in this case, through the very words of Jesus, is to make disciples who make disciples. Right. We're not stuttering when we say that we we have unpacked together that the way that we know we have made disciples is that they also make disciples. And so Matthew 28, the great commission, that great promise of Jesus to be with us, to help us accomplish God's purposes, we learned was to make disciples who make disciples. So, so what is your vision of heaven, right? And what does your vision impel you to do? Now, one way to, to help us understand that is to look at the vision that God gave the Apostle John. I keep using the word Apostle John. I'm doing that intentionally, not because he has some big title that says he's different than you or that he is, has a closer or deeper or a better relationship with God than you do. No, Apostle simply means sent one, right? I keep using the word Apostle because John got it that God had given him words to do. John understood that he was a sent one. He, was, he had a meaning and purpose for his life, and he dedicated himself to fulfilling that. But in Revelation 7, God gave the Apostle John a vision of heaven, and it included all the things that you might expect. God, the Father, I said in the notes, still on the throne, right? And why did I say still? Because it's not like he's not on the throne right now. God is on the throne, Amen. No matter what you're facing, no matter what the world throws at you or your own flesh or the evil one, God is still on the throne and he will be. Because one day we'll get to see it face to face. One day we'll be Coram Deo. One day we'll be standing before the very face of God, right? But notice also in this vision that the Lamb or Jesus was at the center of the throne, right? Right, central to our whole understanding of who God is, is the, the person and the work of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is at the center of the throne. But one thing I really wanted you to see today is that there are people there as well. People from every nation, literally ethnos, right? Every people group, 
they estimate there's 7,500 people groups in the world today, and over 2,000 of those people groups do not have access to the Word of God. They do not have access to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Oh, we got work to do. Amen? There is work for us to do, beloved. But I love it also that he, he words just kind of explode in this vision. Not just every people group or, or ethnos, but every tribe, every cultural group are, are there together. Every language, every tongue are represented there before the throne of God. Now, we have a, a dissonance that comes from that vision, right? Because we know that we're not there yet. We're not there yet. That hasn't been accomplished yet. So, so in giving the vision to John, the angel is giving the vision to us, too. And saying, this is where we're going, beloved. So good to have you guys back. I just can't stop looking at you after praying for almost a year uh, from the call to the, to the completion. Um, but you immerse yourself in a different culture, right? Uh, oh, my goodness. Uh, and, and one, um, I'm speaking to the Johnsons over there, one that, uh, that a lot of the world would think would be hostile to the message of Jesus Christ. Um, but all the world, when they see the love of Christ, right? All the world responds. Thank you for being so faithful. I can't wait to catch up. I'm hearing rumors that you're going to be making trips back there. Kind of gets into your heart, doesn't it? Um, uh, we're so grateful for your faithfulness to the call. We're so grateful that you're home. And uh, we can't wait to see what God is going to do with that amazing season of your life. The Johnsons are no different than you or I, right? Every single one of us as well is called to, to fulfill this vision, to, to, to find our place in this reality that one day there will be men, women, children from every nation and tribe and tongue worshiping. Before the throne. And until, until everyone has had a chance to hear, until everyone has had someone who would disciple them, who would, who would help them learn and follow Jesus, who would help them become like Jesus, their master, uh, until that is fulfilled, we have work to do. So that brings us to the title of the message today, really, what, who are the people that God blesses, Right? Because in this vision, as, as always in Scripture, you look at it, it sounds so poetic, and it goes by, and, and you think, well, that was, that was neat. That, but wow, every word in that vision has meaning and purpose and power. How can we unpack such a, a spectacular vision of, of uh, what eternity is going to be like, what heaven is going to be like. I want to do it. I'm going to do it backwards, actually, beginning with the end and working our way backwards through the vision. But I want to suggest to you that, that in this vision, we will see what the people of God shall do, right? They shall do something, right? We're going to, we're going to see who the people of God are, what's happening for them right now, right? We're going to see also then uh, uh, what they have done, what they have been through. And, Lord willing, uh, my great prayer is that as we unpack that, we'll find our path 
our path to eternity as well. Pray again with me one more time, would you? God, thank you uh, for entrusting these words to us this morning. Uh, We're helpless to understand them if your Holy Spirit doesn't go before us. So, So, Holy Spirit, wash over us. Wash away all the other concerns that are going on. The buzzing on our wrists and our pockets of our phones, the, uh, the messages that the world is is uh, just baptizing us in, God, that would that would draw us away from the message that you want us to hear right now. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be an acceptable offering in your sight, O oh Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Wow, there's so much exciting stuff in here, beloved. Let's start with they shall, right? Um, I'm again working kind of backwards to forwards on this in this vision. The word of God in this vision that John receives says they shall never again suffer. Oh, my gosh. God is casting a vision for a time when his people shall never again suffer. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Right? There's a a season coming when, when suffering will end. I love your hearts, beloved. I love your compassion for those who are suffering, but never lose sight of the fact that this is a season. There will be a time when there is no more tears, when there is no more sadness, when there is no more suffering. They shall never again suffer. They shall be led by Jesus, right? They shall be led by Jesus. No, no. In a sense, this is already true, right? We have this opportunity to follow Jesus, every single one of us. The kingdom of God doesn't begin when we get to heaven. It has already begun when you committed your life to Jesus Christ. But, but I love this picture. At the very end, the same thing's going to be happening, right? The Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water. They shall be led by Jesus. And they shall be comforted by God. Look at the picture. It's here, right? And and the burden is so heavy that we cannot even verbalize it. Just just tears run down from our face. God will wipe away every tear. Every tear from their eyes. They shall be comforted by God. Again, We don't have to wait for this, beloved. That's the invitation to the kingdom of God. This can be true for us right now as well. They shall never again suffer. They shall be led by Jesus. They shall be comforted by God. But what what about the description of where they are, right? Look at where they are. They are standing in the presence of God, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And, and I don't know why, when I, was, when I was preparing this, it just struck me that they were standing, right? No matter how many times you feel that you are knocked down, how many times you have been struck and, and buffeted by the struggles and the challenges of, of living in a kingdom that is God's, but not yet completely redeemed, right? God casts this vision, they're standing. They are still 
outstanding. And it brings back, doesn't it, so many memories of scriptures. Ephesians 6, five times I think it says, stand. Your job is to stand. Sometimes that's all you can do. The battle's not yours. You don't have to fight this thing, but you do need to stand and see the deliverance of God, right? And one day that standing that you're courageously doing right now in the midst of all the struggles, one day that standing will be rewarded because you'll be standing in the very presence of God. Very presence of God. And all those other things go away, right? Look what else they're doing. They're shouting. They're shouting truth with broken-hearted Boldness. They're crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb and to Jesus Christ. There is no other salvation in anything else. In anything else. All those temporary things that we entrust our lives to, right? All those, those momentary comforts that that we begin to associate with God's blessing, uh, there's salvation. There is ultimate healing in nothing else. And beloved, our voices have been diminished. We, we whisper when we should be shouting, right? If we have the secret to eternal life, if, if we have the words that can make a difference between an eternity with God and an eternity apart from God, then we should not be holding that to ourselves. And if we have the words of truth, right? Thinking of that song, Voice of Truth, right? If we have those words, we should sing them. We should shout them, no matter what happens from the world's perspective. Now, I say this because we're just in this unique time in our culture, are we not? Where, where I mean, very simple truths, are being questioned by the world and, and being turned upside down. And, and not only are those truths, those false truths out there, but you'll be persecuted if you don't sign on, right? You will suffer if you don't sign on. So, so I love this vision of John that says, yes, and, and we're going to see that, that they paid dearly for standing. They paid dearly for shouting truth in the midst of a culture that that worshipped untruth, right? But I love, I love that the, there's that simple phrase. I'm reading into it other scriptures, but but crying out, right? In other words, uh, with broken-hearted boldness, proclaiming truth and standing, no matter what the consequences of proclaiming that truth is. Wow, wow. They are standing in the presence of God. They are shouting truth with broken-hearted boldness. They're serving God continuously. Isn't that interesting? Remember my initial question, what do you think you'd be doing? Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people who do not understand this vision here think, well, I'm going to be sitting there plucking on some kind of guitar-like instrument or harp-like instrument, right? And that doesn't really sound exciting to me. It actually sounds kind of cool to me. But, but, but it, you know, it's not really a, a compelling vision, is it? Right. Um, uh, and, and we think, is that all we're going to do is worship the rest of our <laughs> You're smiling. Yes, I'm ready. Bring it on. Right. I'm ready. But um, for someone who does not understand this, our job doesn't end when when we leave this earth. No, we're, we're going to 
we're going to be serving, that's the word liturgy, we're going to be serving God, worshiping Him continuously. The Scripture says in 715, day and night, right? We are standing in the presence of God. We are shouting truth with broken hearted boldness. We are serving God continuously. And, and this beautiful picture, we are sheltered. We are sheltered in His presence. Oh, there's echoes throughout the Psalms, right, of, of being sheltered and under his wings, right, in the shadow of his wings. Um, this beautiful picture that no matter what the people around you throw at you, um, God will be your shelter. Well, the words get stronger in the Psalms. He will be your Masada. He will be your fortress. He will be your shade. My goodness, they shall, they are. But, but this vision also began with what they have been through, right? And, and let's not pretend, right? And though I grew up in a season when Christianity was, was um, celebrated for most of my 64 years, Christianity has been celebrated, I recognize that that, sin, that season is ending, right? Uh, and, and Jesus' words, I'm going to go backwards here for a second, John 16, 33 says, in this world you will have tribulation, right? You're gonna, this, this is not going to be easy. Take heart. I've overcome the world, right? But this is not going to be easy. But look at the vision that God gave John. These are the ones coming out. Coming out. Now, he speaks a technical term, the Great Tribulation. There is a time coming that, uh, that the world has never seen or never known. He said, wait a second, there's been some pretty terrible seasons in the world. Yes, there have. Um, we have seen nothing yet. We have seen nothing yet in comparison, right? There is this thing coming called the Great Tribulation. And, and, but I, I want to recognize that in the midst of the, uh, the minor tribulations, I'm not minimizing those. I'm just saying they're kind of like warm-ups to, to what is yet to come, right? But did you see the words here? They came out. They made it true, right? They came out of that great tribulation. Lastly, they have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now, many people, when they read that, they... They said, well, this is just the people of Israel tapping into many of the false worships of their cultures. There were, there were religions, Mithras, for exactly, it was a God who demanded that his people be baptized in the blood of a, of a bull, right? And, and so you still find archaeological evidences of that, that false worship. Oh, this is just the people of God kind of, kind of adopting the culture. No, you missed the whole thing. You missed the whole thing here. There's... There's two great paradox, paradoxes here in the scriptures. First, the first paradox is really obvious that our robes, in other words, our lives are made white by being washed in something that leaves a stain, right? Anybody who's ever tried to get a blood stain out of a white shirt understands what we're talking about here. There's this paradox that, that the blood cleanses, right? Now, what, what is this paradox, right? What is it? it, it it's, a, it's, a, 
vision of what happens when you trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross, right? The life is in the blood, the author of the book Hebrews said, and when he sacrificed his life, he made that which was unrighteous us righteous, right? He paid the penalty for our sins so that we might be presented before God radiant and glorious and holy and the, and the vision of that is these white robes, right? Not people who never sin. There's no such thing, right? Save Jesus. No, what happened was people who had been broken, people who had been lost, people who had sinned had been made clean because of the saving work of Jesus Christ. It's a huge paradox. That was just a foretaste of the one to come. And that is that we have to die to live. We have to die to live. And, and none of us likes to think about that. None of us likes to think uh, about our, our season on this earth coming to an end. But, but, beloved, understand, if you represent Jesus to the world, you will suffer. And many of you will pay the ultimate cost. Many of you will die for your faith in Jesus Christ. And if that was all there was, if, if upon human death we're just annihilated and, and cease to exist, it would be the ultimate tragedy, wouldn't it? Do you understand why people who don't know Jesus struggle so much? It, it doesn't make sense to them, right? Because this is all that they know. This is all that their hope is in. But you're different. You have trusted Jesus Christ. And your hope is in the vision that God has given John. That one day you will stand before that throne. You will live forever in glory. And, and you will not be alone. There will be, there'll be multitudes of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. There with you. Oh, is this some kind of weird reflection of Islam or something where the only way to heaven, Pastor Dave, is to, is to go out in a blaze of glory? To, I, I, I say that, and, and some of you who know Islam better than me can correct me, but, but you know what? That's their only hope. That, you know, because if, if they get judged according to their life, then... They're unrighteous, right? They're going to fall short of the glory of God, right? And so their only hope is that somehow through martyrdom they can... That's why you see these crazy things happen. No, this is not what Jesus is talking about at all. I'm not saying go out and find a way to, to sacrifice your life. That way may find you. But have you ever wondered... How do people do that, right? How do they give up? Just think about your beloved husband, your extended family. How do they, how do they give that up, you know? And, and, and darn it, if they don't seem to do it joyfully, right? Picture Stephen, right, being stoned to death, right, at the lion's gate there in, in Jerusalem. And he just was doing it joyfully. He had this vision in front of him of something much greater, right? Much, much greater. So what is... What is the secret to living in such a way 
that we would willingly give up this life, right? I think, I think the secret is you cannot kill that which has already died. You follow me? If you die to self, how did Jesus put it? Unless a seed of grain falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bear much fruit, right? But if it does, right, then it bears fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. If you choose to die to self now, if you choose to die to the, to the world now, if you choose to, to uh, sacrifice those things now, what can someone take away from you, right? What can someone take away, right? All their threats, right? Fall on deaf ears. <laughs> you can't kill me. I already gave that up. I think the Apostle Paul uh, put it best in our memory verse for today. Uh, periodically, we pull memory verses, and oftentimes they're so familiar, you memorize them decades ago. But you are different than you were decades ago. You are wiser. You know Jesus better. But the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been, help me, crucified. Yeah, yeah, that's killed. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, right? So he's still alive, right? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And, and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow. There's this beautiful vision, beloved. Men and women from every tribe and tongue and nation standing before the throne. How are they going to get there, right? God is going to use you and the Christ life in you to give them a glimpse, to give them a picture, to give them a vision of what the glory of God looks like and what their place in it will be. And so I just want to invite you, as we consider this path that God has placed us on, the first step of this path is saying, it is no longer I. Would you say that? Who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let's make it two sentences. Would you do it again? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Pray with me, would you? Oh, Jesus, thank you that you loved us so much that you left that glory that is so visible there. You left that glory and, and became flesh, became like us to show us how to live selflessly, to show us how to die to ourselves and live. But Jesus, I'm also grateful that, that you took upon yourself our death. So that God's death 
grip on humanity would be broken, that sin would have no longer have any power over us, God, that that we might be set free from the bondage of our sin and free to live to your glory right now and forever. So God, I just pray for those who, who still wonder, God, if this vision should be their vision. God, I pray for those who are saying, how can I be sure? God, I pray that you might grant us the courage to say to you, Jesus, I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of living in a world that constantly falls short and breaks hearts. I'm, I'm tired of watching people forever separated from, from the glory of God pass away, never having heard or having the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus God, would you grant me that mustard seed of faith to believe that Jesus Christ died for me, that that he uh, gave his life so that I might be presented before you with white robes, Lord, that I might be able to worship before you with, with no malice or sin in my life. God, I thank you that you validated what Jesus did by raising him from the dead. And so I confess today before you, God, that I believe you raised Jesus from the dead to prove the impact of his life. And so I embrace your vision for my life today. Jesus, I I will live for you and no longer for myself. For my own selfish interests, I will live for you until that day when I add my voice, Jesus, to myriad angels who say salvation belongs to our God, who sits upon the throne and, and to the Lamb. God, I add my voice to his voice right now that he might be glorified. And then, God, I pray for those of us who have known you and, and walked with you and been buffeted, maybe even suffered great persecution and loss as a result of that faith. And, and we find our, our knees getting weak. We find our, our hands, Lord, uh, uh, unable to accomplish the things that we used to do. Would you give us this calm assurance, Jesus, that, that your saving grace is sufficient for us? Would you give us, God, this, this amazing opportunity to, to, to believe again that your grace and your grace alone accomplishes this in us? 